everyone. You're listening to The Moose Room, hosted by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Joe Armstrong, and my co-hosts are Emily Wilmus and Brad Hines. This is episode three, and we are continuing our discussion from last episode about grazing. So in last episode, we talked about the basics of grazing, and this episode, we're going to focus specifically on grazing in the dairy world. So we don't have a guest this week to, because we already have a grazing expert in the room. That's Dr. Bradley J. Hines. And Brad's going to get right into it and tell us, besides the reduced feed costs that go along with grazing, what, what are the other reasons that we graze in the dairy world? Well, Joe, I, you know, I don't know if I'm an expert. I don't certainly don't know a lot about grazing. Um, well, I, I've worked with grazing producers for uh, uh, 10 years now in my position. And before that, even in some of the California work that I did in grad school, some herds were grazing. So I have a pretty good grasp. But, you know, grazing's always changing. It's changing all the time with weather, uh, breeds, feed. Um, it, it's just a constant uh, challenge. Uh, but it can be very rewarding uh, for producers. So, you know, like we talked about in the first episode, I think a lot of people start grazing because of reduced feed cost. And that's uh, a, certainly a benefit. Um, we probably should say, you know, grazing's not necessarily for everybody. Um, you know, it can work for some. Um, and some herds maybe just uh, couldn't do grazing because of land, or lots of other things. But, um one of the things I think uh, that people decide to start grazing is human nutrition, really providing a healthy product to consumers, whether it be beef or dairy. Um, here at our research center, we've done lots of different studies related to grazing and human nutrition. And really, when we talk about human nutrition, most people are focusing on omega-3s and omega-6 um, and the omega-6 to 3 ratio. Uh, we've done some studies on grass milk here as well and found that grass milk is higher in omega-3s than conventional or even uh, really organic milk. So grass milk uh, uh, has provided lots of benefits too. Well, actually, Bradley, I also want to add in that as we look at human nutrition and, and how different milks impact that, you know, all milks contain the same non-essential nutrients, great source of protein and calcium, especially. And it really comes down to choice for a lot of consumers when we're looking at conventional milk, organic milk, grass-raised milk, however you want to say it. Uh, sometimes it's just a preference of how you like the cows to be raised, uh, you know, what, what works best for your budget, for your lifestyle, and again, for your values as well, for how your food is raised. But just a friendly reminder that all milk is is safe for us. It is nutritious. Uh, and we're just very fortunate in this country to have a safe food supply and to have a lot of different choices. And grass-fed milk is one of those choices. I agree, Emily. You are totally right. Write it down, everybody. I don't give you date? kudos too, too much. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I think it really depends on the consumer choice and, and what they prefer. And some people like that grass-flavored milk. Uh, it does have a different a taste to it and a different flavor and even a different color to it. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, if, if you haven't tried it, you might want to try it one time. You never know what, what you might like. Yeah. And I, I, I think new human nutrition plays a big role in it. And there's some other factors that we'll get into later with genetics that play into that as well. And we're, we're constantly looking at that end product and trying to improve it in any way we can. Um, what about the workload, Brad? Like what, 
is it is it less work? Is that why? Because I feel like a lot of people are initially attracted to grazing because it they think of it as less work for them, less management, all these things. Is is that true, or is it just different kind of work? Uh, well, I don't think it's less work. I think the the work is a little bit different. You have to, uh, you know, think about you're you're managing grass. That's what you have to do every day, and you have to make fence every few days, you know, decide on how your cows and heifers are to be watered. Do you have water on pasture or do they get watered some other ways? Um, And weather plays a big factor in it. So trying to manage the weather when your animals are outdoors, if if you don't have any facilities, can be a challenge. So it, it doesn't necessarily save on work. You just shift the work to different things. I think you know, there are some people that could argue and say uh, it, it is less work. Um, uh, there is a growing movement in the grazing world now to go to once a day milking, uh, which is quite unique uh, to save on labor costs. Um, I've, One, uh, once a day. Once a day milking. They do a lot of that in, in New Zealand and do, do not lose much production at all. I've That's really interesting. explored uh, once a day milking here as well on uh, cows that are... Uh, 60 to 80 days before they go dry so i haven't done it through the whole lactation but that's kind of interesting to to do some of the things and think about how to save labor in a grazing operation um so there's 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 a lot of different things that you can do um uh, with labor I, i think the biggest thing you talk to grazing producers is they're they're not running a tractor and a tmr wagon or a manure spreader every day and that's one of the benefits that they see. It's uh, you just don't need all that equipment like some other dairies do. So a low input system, but not necessarily lower labor, like you said, just different style of labor. Yes. Yep. Yep. Definitely. I think we we haven't really touched on it yet, but we we have these human nutrition components that we know are better. Is there a premium for grass fed milk, or is is that a thing yet? Uh, yes and no. I think it depends on where you live. You might have some small co-ops that are selling some local uh, grass milk or some producers that might sell uh, specialized milk off their farm. Typically where you see a lot of the grass milk is coming through the organic world. Uh, Most uh, organic processors will have a grass milk line of of their products and that's where we really see it um you don't typically see it outside of the organic world but but you have and there have been some co-ops that have produced grass milk and uh, are not around anymore either so it's a very specialized market so there's the the premium might not be there for totally grass-based unless you're really organic Uh, and if you think about it from an organic standpoint there is a premium over organic milk to go organic and grass-fed so would you say most grass-fed milk is just marketed through traditional conventional chains uh yes yeah Uh, most uh, producers there's a lot if you're a conventional grazing producer and uh you would just market it through conventional means it would go into the regular milk supply in in the united states so i mean grass-fed milk seems is is more nutritious we've kind of we've got enough studies to show that what do you think could the industry go 100 percent grazing do we have the resources to go 100 percent grazing well of course i would like to see a lot more producers go grazing that yeah. you know that's that's my job i work with lots of grazing producers 
um, I think that it would take a lot more land uh, to uh, convert the whole dairy industry to, to grass-based production, um, especially in some parts of the United States where there's high concentration of cows. Uh, it would take a lot more land to go grass-based. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is, could be up for debate, but we might need more cows. Obviously, if you go uh, totally grass-based production in your herd, you're going to sacrifice on milk production. You're probably not going to maintain a 100-pound uh, bulk tank average on your cows if you're grass-based. They just they do have less milk production. So we would, you know, we're going to sacrifice a little bit on milk production if you're grass-based, but there's a lot of trade-offs that come with that uh, that we had mentioned before. I mean, how much are you sacrificing? I mean, what what do you expect out of a well-managed grazing herd that's been doing it for a while? What what do you expect production to be? A well-managed grazing herd, I think, you know, if, if you're not supplementing uh, with anything, if you're totally grass-based, uh, no TMR, I would expect you should be able to get at least 35 to 40 pounds of milk out of your cows. Now, some people might laugh at that and think that's really low production but if you're not supplementing that's pretty good if you're going to supplement yeah you can you should be able to get uh, 55 to 70 75 pounds of milk really it's um with your cows are the components different in a grazing herd are they drastically different just a little different i think the components are a little bit different i think it depends on your grazing you know components typically go down we see fat depression in the spring, May and June into early July when the grass is pretty lush, really high in protein, you're seeing probably lower fat production, uh, fat test in your cows. It, it does come back. I think it depends. If you look at our herd, I'll pull it up now. We So we were sitting here November 8th and we stopped grazing on November 6th. So we are the luxury of grazing uh, well late. into November this year, That's which late. is yeah. very unheard of. And we were running a 4-3 fat and a 3-6 protein. Okay. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of grazing herds. Some herds do not have as high a fat and protein, but you can still get pretty good fat and protein production if you have well-managed grass and uh, you know diversity of species in your pasture, things like that. You can maintain fat production. Well, and that that ties into like especially probably be the reason that you're able to graze that late is that you do manage it well. You're rotating really intensely, and and that that's necessary, right? Because this this it's way different than beef in my mind because that that cow is metabolically stressed and needs those calories on a whole nother level than a beef animal. So are, are you are you how fast are you rotating? I mean, it all depends on the grass, but I mean. Yeah, pasture rotation is pretty essential in any dairy grazing. In the early part of the spring, we're probably on a 22 to 23 day rotation, which is really fast. Um, if the you know if there's rainfall and the grass is growing well, uh, typically later on in the grazing season, we're on 28 to 35 day rotation uh, back to the same paddocks, which is actually pretty good. Um, sometimes we start managing with TMR. We started feeding TMR maybe mid September just to sort of manage our grass and extend out the grazing season. So if, you're supplementing more to save grass or based on the cows? Uh, more to kind of both actually okay. more to save somewhat is to save on grass, kind of hedging our bets. The 
fall looked nice and we could hopefully extend the grazing season uh, a little bit longer. Typically here in western Minnesota, we would stop grazing late September, maybe first week of October. So when I tried to supplement those cows, I was hoping to extend it a little bit further. And we probably got another month of grazing by feeding them basically half of their diet was on TMR and the other half was grazing. And I, yeah, I think that's, that's something that we see on the beef side a lot. So that it's, it's cool that, that, that translates really, really well, kind of stocking forage stocking, you know, almost like a mob grazing mentality to like bank some of that up in preparation to try to get a few more months out of it. Somebody's Um, sitting quiet here. Emily, what do you see out of your herds that you work with that are grazing? I know you've worked with some grazing herds before. that often. (laughs) Well, yes, grazing. I'm not the expert over here like Dr. Hines. So I see a lot of people that, like you were saying, Brad, they are kind of trying to figure out this uh, supplementation piece really to be able to extend that grazing season, I think is their big goal. Uh, so that the cows aren't eating it all down too fast and they can keep them out there a little bit longer into the year, like into early November, if it's possible. Uh, that's the big thing that I see on my herds that I work with. And that when you're supplementing, I mean, you got bunks in the pasture that you put out or do you? Uh, when we're supplementing, we typically feed uh, in a compost barn or a dry lot okay, before so they, them up. yeah, yep. So they come up and have TMR, uh, so we're not... Uh, feeding on pasture some herds actually do feed on pasture just dump the feed on the ground we do that with some of our groups a heifer group or something will maybe feed tmr on the ground i i don't i don't see a problem with that in my mind is and i think it becomes more of an overwintering thing i see a lot of guys feed on the ground in the winter the ground's frozen Mm -hmm. they're not you know i just my biggest concern is bunk space right if you're going to supplement on pasture and you don't have enough bunk space not everyone gets to eat so you got your fat cows that get fat and your skinny cows stay skinny. So uh, that that's what I was getting at. It's like, do you, if you're doing it in the barn, obviously you have enough bunk space. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And if you're just doing it on the ground, Brad, would you have any concerns, you know, given if it's wet conditions or something that that area is going to get a little torn up or do they recover okay? Or is it just a sacrifice area now? Uh, what could that look like of, you know, we're going to tear up this part of the pasture to be able to supplement the TMR? That's a good question, Emily. I, I, you know, there, there are people that do supplement on the ground. I think you have to change your area every day that you're dumping on the ground. Um, just because yeah, mud or snow or you, you, you name it. Um, some people, when they feed on the ground, they see that as soil fertility for the next summer, uh, for a pasture or paddock, you know, some, uh, kind of a sacrifice paddock that you're trying to restore. So it's, you know, some people listening might think that feeding on the ground is a waste, but some might see that as soil fertility, which plays a big role in uh, grazing herds. Definitely the soil is, is uh, number one. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about the cows for a second, because I always, and we talk about on the beef side, we always talk about these cows that are made to walk and they're, they're a little different than anything you would put in confinement. Are the cows different? When we're talking about a grazing herd, are you selecting for anything differently on the grazing side or are you just enhancing certain things that everyone should be selecting for? Well, that's a loaded question. I know, I know. I set you up. I set you up for it. Exactly. Now now you'll have to make me uh, tell you what what I think. Uh, If you 
if you talk to the producers, probably the, the number one thing is smaller cows. Uh, that They want more uh, medium-sized cows for their herd. They don't want big giants walking on pasture. Um, I think that that's one of their big things. Um, cows with good feet and legs because they have to walk. Uh, that's, you know, if, if a cow can't walk, she does not work well in the grazing herd. And I would, I would, I would add to that, that if a cow can't walk, she doesn't work well in any herd. Yeah, you're probably but, right. But even right. more so in a grazing yeah, herd. Yeah, right? they, they do walk a lot, probably more in a grazing herd. You know, some herds, cows will walk a mile back to the milking parlor. So it, it can be a long walk every day. Um, and somatic cell count um is a big one well for every herd definitely uh, that we select on and fertility you know most a lot of grazing herds can be seasonal so they need to get their cows pregnant in a short breeding window so fertility is um probably uh, a big uh, reason to to select for in a grazing herd as well well and the the feet and legs probably ties into something i think gets missed on a lot of a lot of herds our call rates are really high as we turn over genetics and all these other things but i mean there's something to be said for longevity you put a lot of money into raising a heifer the longer she sticks around the more money that investment makes sense you know that that it seems to make more sense the longer she's around milking in your herd so i mean that giving ties the full into, return on your investment right right of, so it's like yeah. feet and feet and legs play a big part of that yeah but on the grazing side, I mean, that even more so. I mean, we got beef cows that live forever out there grazing. Uh, and if you select right, they can, I'm sure on the, it's the same for a milking herd, right? Yes. They stick around. And, you know, I, probably a, another podcast that we could do is breeds for dairy herds. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's my specialty i, I did yeah, lots I, of work I in breeding and genetics i didn't bring yeah. up crossbreeding on purpose <laughs> yeah we, we won't you, go that you can't see the big dumb smile on brad's face right now but he's really <laughs> he's really excited he's really happy yeah, we so. could talk about crossbreeding uh uh for hours but you know most most grazing herds tend to be crossbred herds uh to, there's a lot of holstein herds too and i think you know the number one question that I always get is what breed is best? And I think it really depends on your management, your feeding situation, uh, what really, what, what you're striving for. And that could be Holstein. A lot of, I've seen a lot of Jersey herds that are grazing. And then we could go into a lot of the other breeds that, you know, we're using Normandy, Viking red, Montpellard. Uh, there, you see a lot of those in grazing herds too. There's just a lot of things that you can use uh, for grazing. Some herds are using New Zealand genetics, uh, which is uh, some people use use those. So, um, yeah, and I, I guess that's one of my soapbox things. You'll probably hear me on this podcast if you listen long enough. Get on this soapbox a couple times. I, I always have producers that ask about breeds and ask about cows and how do they make their system fit their cows. Well, I think it's a lot easier in a lot of cases to make your cows fit your system. You know, select call do things that make it so that those cows work in your system rather than trying to figure out how to spend all this money all this equipment to make your cows work you know get your system to work for your cows do it go the other way you can change that kind of stuff we've shown that so i think i think that's that's a big thing to keep in mind now i promise that we were going to talk about uh the genetic component that relates to human nutrition so we should probably get into that and that's a2 a2 milk Emily, do you know A2A2 mm-hmm. milk? 
Oh, I, I'm I'm familiar. Okay, I'm, give us your give us your rundown. Yeah, well, I would say A two A two milk. I think is a really great marketing strategy for for consumers. You know what we can boast with the A two A two protein is that uh, without that A one, it is more easily digestible for consumers that may find they get upset stomach. Uh, from consuming dairy products, especially fluid milk. And so from that standpoint, that it can help uh, keep consumers consuming dairy products, consuming cow's milk, I think that there's a really big benefit there to producers. And I know Brad has some experience uh, with the herds that he works with uh, that are starting to get into this and looking at a little bit deeper, but it doesn't change the way that the producer needs to manage the cow. Um, It's just a genetic selection that you make that you can breed for. Um, And then everything else is kind of the same about the cow. So Any other notes on this, Brad? I believe you've had A2A2 milk, correct? Yes. Does it taste different? It does not taste any different. Not not for me anyways. Uh, Some people, there's a lot of people that like A2 milk and seem to not have gut problems or whatever by drinking it, but uh, I think it it depends on each individual person. But if if you have the benefit to use A2 bulls, why not use them? I guess that's that's probably the the big thing. and there's, it's, it's growing in the U S I've seen lots of commercials on TV for a two milk now. And, um, sure. Why, why not select for it? So kind of back to the question we asked earlier on specifically marketing grass fed milk as grass fed to processors. Are there those avenues yet on, Hey, I'm going to convert my herd to a two and I have somewhere I can market it that way. Yeah. Good question. Uh, there are not any premiums or benefits for producing a2 milk in the mainstream dairy industry right now if you're you know if you have a processing plant on your farm which i know some people do they market their uh, a2 milk um, and that's great Uh, but for you know mainstream uh, dairy uh, there is no uh, premium or benefit to to a2 milk as of right now there could be in the future but we don't know i think as we uh Start using a lot of A2 bulls. I think uh, a lot of herds, uh, conventional and grazing, they're just going to become all A2, A2 uh, in the future anyways. You know, 60% of our herd here in Morris is A2, A2, and I really haven't selected for it in the past. So it's just been a benefit. I, I, well, I might get a little off. Oh, here comes the veterinarian dog. I'm on a a soapbox (laughs) again. Because like I, I hear you say, all right, A2, A2 milk. All bulls are going to be A2, A2 eventually. Why can't we do that with polled bulls? I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like, it's a huge benefit. It's all this stuff. I'm way off topic. But the first thing that comes to mind is everyone's so excited about A2, A2 milk. We're going to just make all the bulls A2, A2 anyway. Why have we not got the basics under control with polled animals? Okay, I'm, we're probably going to cut this out, just so you all know. <laughs> if I leave it in, this is completely off topic, but... I think easily digestible milk is more sellable than this cow didn't have horns. But it's such, marketing it's piece. Such I know, a but PR, it's a marketing piece. A PR thing to not have to go through that process of dehorning. And it's such a simple move. It's a dominant trait. Just put it in or, or select for it. Make it a priority. And no one has. And it, it blows my mind. I agree. I, I so we can look at the science and the science will tell you that 
pulled bulls have lower production traits than regular bulls. And I think that's really why it hasn't caught on as much in the industry. I think it should. Pulled is wonderful. You know, nobody likes to dehorn. It's it's kind of a pain. And lots of new things coming along with the farm program and dehorning and pain mitigation and stuff. They're happening because consumers are asking. So I think we need to and we will. We just need to figure out how to get those pulled bulls to have the production traits of the regular bulls and, and it'll take off. And we, and we, we have those tools. I mean, they're there because we can modify these uh, bulls with genetics and genetic tools that we have and i again sorry we're so off topic but i i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't help myself we had to get into it it is a question on the farm 4.0 uh, national farm whether you're using pulled bulls now you don't get docked for it if you're you know it's just a it's just a management question they're asking but um i think it's it's coming yeah i mean it's the coming. solution is the solution is yes we should be mitigating pain and doing all these things and uh, lidocaine blocking, providing anti-inflammatory, all that stuff. And I think it benefits the producer to do that. But it's much easier to just not do it at all. Look, Don't end look up, forward I mean, for our upcoming forms. episode, Genetics 101. <laughs> Genetics, Genetics 101 <laughs> with Dr. Bradley J. Hines. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're, we've deteriorated. So we're going we're gonna to call it a wrap on episode three. You hope you learned about why we use grazing and dairy systems and a little bit about what it takes to manage a grazing herd, why it's different, and then um, what to look for when you're selecting for genetics in your herd. As always, if you'd like to learn more or need any, need something to reference, please visit extension.umn.edu. That's extension.umn.edu. If you have any questions for us, comments about the show, or ideas about what you'd like to hear, send them to the Moose Room at UMN. Dot edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at U-M-N E-D-U. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next episode. I love how it just descended into chaos at the end.